If you're new or new online, we are in a series that we are calling Repent and Believe the Gospel. It's based off of this particular passage here in Mark 1.15, and Jesus said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God. Different translations say it different ways, but repent and believe in the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. You know, all that is kind of put together. But to quickly break it down, we looked in Isaiah chapter 9, prophesied the coming of the Messiah when the land was in darkness, but it saw a great light coming. And from that time on, the government is upon his shoulders, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is continuing to increase like yeast in dough until God makes all his enemies his footstool and puts them under the feet of Jesus and we are in him. Now, I'm not really trying to make an eschatological statement in that in terms of end times, what I think the end times are going to look like. I'm just looking at what was said about his kingdom, and that's what we're participating with is his kingdom. Jesus shows up and he says, the time is fulfilled. In other words, what Isaiah said is now the kingdom is at hand. You're going to have to change the way that you think, which is what repent means, and believe the good news of God's kingdom. So that's what we're doing. We're resetting you know, you got the world's global economic structure trying to reset whatever they're trying to reset. But we are resetting our own hearts and minds on the gospel. Amen? We are making sure that we are laser focused on the gospel, that our hearts are secure in that. No matter what happens in the world, Jesus said, wheat and tares at the same time. Nurture the wheat. Don't forget that the wheat is increasing. I love that word. Growth. 520 new species. 503. That's interesting. You know, there's just growth. There's stuff out there. We, we, we have our limited focus. And, you know, things aren't so rosy sometimes. I mean, I hear Washington, D.C. is gridlock, and you, and you hear one side or the other of what is or isn't happening, and my goodness. I mean, who do you even listen to these days with all that nonsense, all those knuckleheads up there that think that they actually run the world, you know? It's like, you guys just don't have a clue. You really don't. Y'all just need to get out of the way. Let us live our lives. Go back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Protect our liberties and shut up. Amen. We need a shut government up campaign. Somebody run on that platform. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Washington. I'm going to tell those boys to shut up because we got some life to live here. That's a winning campaign. <laughs> no, thank you. So we, then we, so we started talking about mindsets, just the ideas that we have about who God is and how it affects us. And we identified a few different mindsets to see if you're paying, you know, do I, do I, gosh, I didn't even realize that I think that way. So that's message number one. You can go back. And then we talked about fear God, but don't be afraid of him. You know, First uh, John 4, 18, if you're afraid of God, it's because you aren't really convinced of his love for you. Uh, and if you're afraid of him, it's for fear of what he might do to you, which tells you that you, you're not really convinced of his love for you. Because when you really truly understand God's love as expressed through Christ, there's nothing to be afraid of about God. There's respect and awe toward him, which is what, how Jesus interpreted that same passage in Deuteronomy when it says, you shall fear the Lord your God and him alone. Jesus quoted it and said, you shall worship the Lord your God. Don't be afraid of him. Fear him, but don't be afraid of him. Then we started to get into this idea of a finished work hermeneutic, 
which is this idea that we must base everything we believe about God on Jesus. Because you, know, you got people that have mixed covenant theology that they believe and teach as if you're supposed to preach the whole counsel of the Word, brother, I hear that. And it's like, okay, I will, especially the parts that says that the old covenant is obsolete and done away with and we have a new one based on better promises that secure in the blood of Christ. I think I'll preach that whole counsel. How about you? So we must base everything. It, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus is God. He showed us exactly who God is. Why wouldn't we base everything we believe about God on Him? Now, there are stories in the old. There are times when God had to protect the Israelites and had to do what He did because He was in covenant with them and to hold up His end, He might have had to wipe out a whole group of people because that's what Israel kind of backed Him into that corner. But now everything's changed in this new covenant. God is not running around the earth judging people and killing people and doing these things to protect some type of covenant because His covenant people keep dragging Him into fights. Jesus upholds our end of the covenant. The covenant is eternal between the Father and the Son, and we are in Christ. Amen? So, and then last week we looked at you, that you are made righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. The law was fulfilled. Jesus didn't throw away the law. He fulfilled the law. It's still wisdom for us. It's still applicable in terms of it makes sense for us. We can read it and learn and understand the best way. It's kind of like reading an instruction manual. Here's how planet Earth works. If you walk uprightly and live according to God's standards in this way, it will go well for you. That's what the law is for us now. It's like a divine prescription for a fruitful and, and productive life, free from sin and death and darkness and all that stuff. Even though in the world we're going to have tribulation, as you walk uprightly, you walk in His kingdom and you follow Him and He leads you and guides you and teaches you. So now what we are are the righteousness of God in Christ, safe in Christ, with Christ, in God, having been changed forever, with a new heart, led of the Spirit in this earth. And our main role at this point is to protect that heart. Guard that heart above all else because it affects everything that you do. Because God is trying to speak to you and lead you from the heart. If He speaks to you through cardinals and clouds and numbers on a clock, that's fine. Are you with me? Oh, it's, it's 11.13. That means so-and-so, so-and-so. God is speaking to me. That's fine. I, I'm not trying to make fun of you. Maybe a little bit, but you know. The more sure way is the Spirit of God inside you. And if that stuff out there does speak to you, it, it, it affirms what He's speaking to you in here. So if you look at something externally and then it affirms, oh, yes, that's a confirmation, fine. But if you're lost and you're like, God, show me a sign, and you're looking out here for the world to tell you God's will, man, you're going to believe every nutty thing that comes across your path. It's why we have so many insecure Christians. They don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know the finished work of Jesus. And they think God's out here manipulating the world to try to teach them lessons. Maybe that's a mindset that you carry that needs to be broken. But He's within you, leading you and guiding you. And in the midst of the world, you're going to have trouble and tribulation. It's going to come, especially for the Word's sake. And the only kind of suffering and tribulation that God endorses is that for the Word's sake. For that, that you're living out your calling, and if as you're living out your calling, 
and persecution comes against you because of the word's sake, that's something that God may have led you into by His divine will. But if it's just difficulty in life because of pain and loss and jobs and all this stuff and marriage, that, that's not God out there messing with your life, trying to make you learn things. The way God teaches you is inwardly with His Word and with His Spirit. So, <clears throat> your homework last week, really for the rest of the series, which is going to go until about mid-February, is to read through Romans and Galatians. And if you, I know we're also reading the Gospel of Peace together, just a chapter a day, but I would also encourage you, just as you're kind of saturating yourself in the Gospel for a little while at the beginning of this year, read through Romans and Galatians, and you know we're going to talk about that later on in the future. So this week, we want to talk about this exchange, my sin for His righteousness. My sin for His righteousness. And then this idea... Jesus didn't just die for you, he died as you. And that's coming from this here, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God, God did this work. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, most people know this passage. It's fundamental. A lot of people read this and think that we're like Abraham in that we're not really righteous, but God credits righteousness to us because we're willing to believe in Jesus. But I'm going to show you today, righteousness is not just credited to you. You actually are righteous now. Like by nature, you are righteous. The kind of being that you are has been changed into an eternal type of being that stands accepted before God because you are in Christ. And the religious person would say, well, sir, are you saying we should just continue in sin? Come on. Paul answered that. In theology, that's called the great exchange. So y'all ready? I got a lot of scripture here, but we got some time. Let's dig in, all right? If you want to follow along, you can. You can pull out your phones or your Bibles or whatever. I'm going to give you a minute. Take a deep breath, because I just kind of threw a lot at you for a minute. I think I'll take a sip of my water. Your, your sweatshirt, man, I'm loving it. I keep looking at that thing. It's like a 70s catch the spirit, Holy Spirit. It's like a Pentecostal sweatshirt is what that is, catch the spirit. All right, so we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Did I, I said get out your Bible, but I didn't tell you where to go, did I? Hebrews chapter 10. It's kind of long here. I'm going to just keep reading through it. And then we'll look at several other places that, you know, something that I enjoy about Scripture is, you know, like, Sebastian, I like the term you use, connecting the dots. You know, a lot of times we get overwhelmed when we try to read the Bible because we think there's all these different beliefs, or not beliefs, but different doctrines that we must learn, all these different kinds of things. But each author has their own way of saying things, but they really all point to the same reality. And that's the beauty of spiritual truth is you describe it in different ways, but you come to the same conclusions. And the conclusion is ultimately back to Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has been trying to do in this earth. And in Him, we are safe, we are complete, we are made whole. And the work that He has done is what makes us acceptable. 
And because of that, from now on, he wants to live through us and empower us and strengthen us to live in a way that brings glory to what he's done inside of us. It's really pretty simple. I mean, it really just is pretty simple. But you got to have a master's degree to get it complicated. And people do, just so you know. All right, so Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 1. I think this is in the New King James. Uh, this, this, is, this is New American Standard because people have asked me, what translation do you use? And I, I go back and forth between New American Standard, the ESV, and New King James. Those are all translations. And then I use a couple of paraphrases every now and then, not that often, but I'm not into a lot of different newer ones, not for any reason other than I just they just... You know, it just hasn't made its way into my study. But so I think this one is New American Standard. And depending on which camp you're listening to, they all say that the one they like the best is the most accurate. But if you want to know the most accurate, read Greek, you know, because the verb tenses and all that just change so much context. All right, here we go. For the law, since it has. So when we think of law, practically for us, we don't realize that it's a mindset that we still hold religiously in Christianity today. So when they talk about law back then, yes, it's all those 613 laws of which kind of sacrifice to bring for which particular type of sin and what you do with its stomach parts and entrails and just specifically how you're supposed to burn them and sling the blood all over everything. You know, we're not talking about those laws. At this point, we're talking about the things that we think we have to do to keep God happy or the things that we have to do to continue to be good Christians, but more so really the things that you think that you break that cause you to feel guilty and ashamed before God. So in other words, when you read the law, for you, it's more real-world application in terms of, I'm not really doing very good at this Christian thing. I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and man. You are holding yourself under the law. You are condemning yourself. Now, it's not a bad thing to do that because what the law does is reveals sin. Like, it, if used properly, the law will help you realize, listen, you're in your own strength. It's okay. That's what the law does. I'm just here to remind you that you can't do this, so go back to Jesus. Without the guilt and the condemnation, it's a sign pointing back to Jesus. When you start realizing, oh man, I'm just not, that's what the law does. It shows you and reminds you and corrects you and points you back to Him. So you go back to Him to live within the freedom. So Hebrews 10, for the law, since it has come, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, Again, good things that echo to the gospel. Uh, and not the form of those things itself. So all that Levitical priesthood stuff, that was just a shadow pointing to a new thing. Can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually every year, make those who approach perfect. So he's setting up the difference between the old couldn't do what the new can do. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. We, so when you're going down to the altar and you're apologizing to God again 
to make sure that you're born again, again and again and again, you're doing this. You're going back offering your apology as a sacrifice for forgiveness. Like, I don't think we realize that. If we think that we got to go to God to apologize to Him for th to then be forgiven, it's as if your emotion is your sacrifice and, and you're going, look, God, I, I feel bad. I'm really sorry. Can you forgive me now? It's like, no, Jesus is your forgiveness. I'm not saying continue in sin, but live understanding where you are with God and what He's done for you. One of the works that He's finished, because we talk about what's the finished work, right? One of the works that Christ finished on our behalf was being a once and for all sacrifice for sin. And I, I encourage you, go back and look in Deuteronomy. The more you go back and you read that stuff and you understand just how meticulous it was, the more you appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 10, we're going to keep going. Four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So he's giving you some clues in there of what Christ's blood does, takes away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, and this is a, a prophecy back, that's why it's in capital, you have not desired sacrifice and offering, but you have prepared a body for me. You have not taken pleasure in the whole burnt offerings and offerings for sin, then I said, behold, I have come. Who's I? Just so you know. It is written of me in the book of the scroll to do your will, O God, after saying above, sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Now, we're not just reading history here. We're reading, I, I hope that when you read this, it's kind of like I said a minute ago, as you read this, you still have to realize you're doing this. We feel like that we can take a shame offering to God, a guilt offering to God. And there were guilt offerings under the covenant. I think it was a couple doves maybe, and you had to take the heads off a certain way and burn the entrails and all. It's like, let me just make sure that I'm, repenting just the right way. Because I, in review, I forgot to say that repentance is not always about sin. It means change your mind. It does mean turn away from sin. But how you think about God and changing to where you in more alignment with how He thinks about you is a repentance also. It's a turning of mind. So practically... We don't have bulls and goats and all these. All, and in fact, there was a warning a little further down in this chapter when he says, don't continue in sin because all that's left is uh, basically hellfire for those. It's talking about if you're wanting to stay in that system where you're bringing offerings for your sin, if you want to stay there, if you want to go back, if you want to leave Jesus and go back to that, there's only condemnation waiting for you back there. It's not talking about specific actions. That's a, kind of another teaching, but... So this is more of an emotional process for us because church is really good at making people feel guilty. It's one of the reasons why churches are declining in general. You know, I don't think Christianity has actually declined as much as the reports would like to say that they are. I think that people just have their relationships with Christ in their own way, so to speak. I think there are still way more believers in this country and the world than we would actually really know. 
but they're sick of church. They're sick of this half old, half new, oppressive system making you feel guilty like you're not doing enough. You might not be, but you know what? Let's encourage one another and lift each other up. You know the areas that you need to fix your life. You know the areas where you're missing it. You know better than anybody. Now, you might live in denial and ignore those things, and, but yet inside when you really, those moments when you get real with God, you're looking for some kind of offering to bring to Him. And He's not satisfied with anything but Christ. So when you're struggling with sin and you just keep missing it, know that there's freedom in it. Know that there's freedom from it because there's way more grace available than the opportunity for sin. But also know that you can go to Him because He is not holding the law against you to condemn you. He already did that in Christ. We talked about that last week. So you're free not to live recklessly, but to approach Him. You know, you trust people that you love more. You know, I was in, in the Gospel of Peace, uh, the, Jim gives a, an example of an uncle. You know, he, he lived in a kind of an, just a strict family and a lot of religious strictness and just kind of difficult family life. And he was a bit of a rebel and, you know, quick to, just quick to rebel, not listening to anybody, Very, you know, hated authority. But he had this uncle come into his life that, that loved him. And so I remember reading the phrase in this book, this uncle could get him to do things that nobody else could get him to do because he knew that that uncle cared about him and loved him, and he wanted to respect and honor that uncle and live in such a way to put into practice the things that he was trying to teach him. That's how it is with God. We've got a church that has come at people with rules and laws, not love. But yet when you approach people with love and respect, they trust it's the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. It's the mercy of God that draws people to repentance. And, and really what it is is a lack of trust in the Holy Spirit to then work in those people's lives to bring about the transformation that we think church is supposed to do in people's lives. So church then becomes a bunch of programs to clean you up. It's one of the reasons why we don't have a bunch of programs. I want to trust the Holy Spirit for you way more than anything that we can come up with. We want discipleship in place so that you can be reminded. But the Holy Spirit is the teacher. The Holy Spirit brings about the transformation for you. Amen? In a real way. And that's one of the things that I want to do is demystify spiritual truth so that we engage God in a real way for, for help. All right, let's keep going. I love how it ends here that he takes away the first in order to establish the second. He takes away the old covenant to establish the new covenant. Hebrews 10.10, 10, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all time. Say, I am sanctified. Now, in certain sections of Christianity, sanctification is like a door that's open for you and to the degree that you live in obedience to God in His will, you become more sanctified. But you can't get more sanctified than the blood of Jesus washing you clean. Jesus is your sanctification, your redemption, 
and your wisdom. Now, what you do is out of your spirit that has been changed, and we're going to go into more of that, put on in your, new, in your mind, mind renewal unto transformation, change the way that you think, repentance, to believe who you really are in Christ and really what He's done in you, which drives the transformation that religion could never do. So sanctification is something that you can reflect more of, but you don't become more sanctified. This doctrine of progressive sanctification is nothing other than you are saved by grace through faith, but you stay saved by your works. Or if you don't have the kinds of works that we think you should have, maybe you weren't really saved in the first place. And where's the scale on that? Because if we peel back the curtain into your life, <laughs> you meaning the one holding the standard against the other. None of us have the right to do that. We don't have the, uh, the credentials to do that. You know what I'm saying? Meaning but we're a bunch of hypocrites if we try to do that against each other. Because if, if you've broken one, you're guilty of breaking them all. Well, you know, I used... Wait, let me keep going. All right, so... <clears throat> but this, this idea of the exchange, the sacrifice, Jesus being our sin offering, our substitute, the great exchange, he became sin so that we could become righteous. We're looking into all of that covenantally, the process that Jesus went through on our behalf. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, verse 11, we do. A lot of altar calls are Hebrews 10, 11. Going down, making offering after offering, sacrifice after sacrifice to try to be forgiven or stay forgiven or hope that you might have been forgiven at one point, maybe till tomorrow, you know. I mean, that, that's a lot of what Christianity is. We see this and we think, oh, that's old. We're not under that old time with sacrifices and all. But no, mentally, we're still engaged in this process. And the church must set people free from that in Christ. That's, that's what we got to do is preach the gospel so people know how free that they are. And the more you, that's why, you know, I respect our founding fathers of this particular nation because I think they understood that and created a framework for people to be free and self-govern. But not to get too political, but I, that idea is uniquely Christian. So let's keep going. Uh, last section of Hebrews 10. Waiting, for that, waiting from that time on, onward, until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Now, the series that we did around Christmas time, the He Shall Reign series, kind of up to that, we talked about this same idea. So right now, the kingdom of God is here because in that parable of the wheat and the tares, he says that what he's doing is he's going about and he's removing the enemies out of his kingdom. We have this perspective that Jesus will not rule and reign in his kingdom here until he return, but it actually says that he must reign here until he return. And the way that he reigns is through you and in your life. And the degree that you yield to Him and you yield more when you know your freedom in Him, 
is the degree to which He will reign in your life and then you are an ambassador for Him showing the world, even in the midst of the darkness, even to the loss of life. Am I going too fast? Last Hebrews 10. Huh? A tiny bit. It's, it's uh, Courtney's coffee. Courtney made it even stronger than Adam this morning. Actually, I'm doing a quick little wedding after church today, so i got to make sure I get there on time. But Amber and Sydney, do you guys know them? They're getting down Lion Creek. They called me a week and a half ago, uh, can, but I'm happy to do it. All right, Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant which I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws upon their hearts. I wish we really could get a revelation of what this means. The, the fact that we are ingrained, like, um, like imagine what genetics are and like eye color, hair color, you know, certain features are encoded into your DNA and they're just going to grow. They're just going to produce that which the programming reflects. It's the same thing with the law. Now, it's not, you're not adverse. You're not an adversary of the law in that it's written in stone externally. And then you have to look at it, but you're at enmity with it. You, you are one with God's ways now. Like God's law is hereditary for you. In other words, it's encoded within you to obey God now because how He has changed the kind of being that you are. You are not at enmity in your nature with God anymore. You know, enmity means like oil and water. They just can't mix. This is such a big deal. Let's keep going because i got a little bit more on this idea. So kind of the same thing, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins or wrongdoings according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. See, a lot of people think, well, God forgave you. You got your ticket punched for heaven and we'll see you there one day. He didn't just forgive you. He cleansed you and changed you. Uh, so, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and, in, and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He set forth in Him regarding His plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ in the heavens and things of the earth. In Him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all in accordance with, his, with the plan of His will. Now we're going to go into that a little bit more in the weeks to come. But just the point that I wanted to draw out of this is that we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness in His blood. God wasn't pleased with the blood of goats and bulls, but with Jesus He is, and He is the once and for all sacrifice for your sin. God has nothing left to hold against you because it's all been exhausted in Jesus. Now look at this. This is, this is where we're going to end today, even though I've got a few more passages. This is the final idea that I want us to grasp here. Colossians 2.9, New King James Version. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead by... I love Colossians. Colossians, it, I don't know, man. It, it, it keeps coming back to it's my favorite book, even though I love Hebrews and Romans and all of them, really. But this one, man, probably because it meant so much to me when I was first coming to understand this stuff, you know. 
But it's a declaration of the preeminence of Jesus, of who God is, and then what He did. So, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. If we could really actually know that. You know, you live in such a way that mirrors your beliefs about yourself. If you could believe the truth of who you are in Christ about yourself, you would make much better choices and decisions. All of us would. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to renew our minds to realize, oh my goodness, this is what he's really done. This is who I am. And you yield to that inner truth, and then it affects every aspect of your being. Uh, You're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We're going to come back to that, but let me finish it. Buried with him in baptism. Now, that's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about being buried, being baptized into Christ. Because of where we are in this region, the Baptist uh, denomination is kind of dominant, and they've, they've done a great job of spreading the gospel all over the world, but have kind of locked us into anytime we hear the word baptism, we think a water baptism, which is important. It's a good thing to go have a water baptism, but that's not what this is talking about. When it's talking about be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, that's not talking about go get water baptized. It's talking about being baptized in the authority of Jesus, which has the capacity to forgive you of your sin. In other words, you are immersed in Christ. You are immersed in His authority. And when you go into His full authority, full immersion, that authority forgives you and sets you free. So in which you are, uh, so, and you being, uh, or what was I? Buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh has He made alive together with Him having forgiven you all, say all, all. trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What does that mean? Uh, Wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That's the law. Wiped out that thing with which God would judge and condemn people has been wiped out, nailed to His cross. God is not holding your sin against you, which makes it free to go to Him to be empowered to live above sin. That, it's a revelation, honestly. You, it's, it's a revelation that you just... You, you can't teach somebody how to see that. Like it's super clear. And once you see it, you re- oh, you get it. It's a revelation that you have to have and experience. And I don't mean like one day God's going to show it to you. It's there, but the heart must perceive it in a way that's greater than physicality and carnality. 
It's got to perceive it in a way that's rooted in a spiritual truth of the redemption that we have in Christ. But once you see it, you see it. Now, just make sure you don't get an attitude toward those who don't see it because they're trying their best, those little pharisaical things they are. They think, you know, they're, they're honoring God's Word, and they are, but under the old covenant and not spiritually discerning the body and the blood of Christ. And, it, and, and it's putting us as a church, as a Christian body, at a disservice toward the world. Because we're not, we're not teaching from this revelation. We're teaching from law. But once you see it, you see it. Can I, are you with me? All right. <clears throat> Which is also echoed here, this same idea is echoed here in Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. All right, so the old man, the body of sin, uh, the body of the sins of the flesh, the old man, the body of sin, the body of the sins of the flesh, what is that? What are we talking about here? So let's break it down a little bit. Body, old man, sins of, body of the sins of the flesh. It's all the same thing. And it says that it was taken away from you. It died. That's the part of you that used to define what your nature is that was dead in sin. But you are not that anymore. You are alive in Christ. So let's look at it just for a minute here. Body. Body. The word body is the word soma, which is used in a very wide application, literally or figuratively, uh, bodily, body, bo bodily, body, slave. Say that three times. <laughs> Me, point th but the point here is the word body is used universally, metaphorically. To modify the next word, which is flesh, body of the sins of the flesh. This is technical, but stay with me. Flesh meaning this, sarx. So the word sarx has four different main meanings. The first one being, I didn't change it yet. I know everybody's like, well, that looks like the same. It is the same, but I didn't change it yet. I'll just, I'll go ahead and change it. I'll give you the good one. This is four. The first definition of sarks, which is flesh, is the, it literally says the soft covering of the bones, which is infused with blood. So this stuff right here, which unfortunately, when we hear flesh, we almost always think of this. The other, one of the other definitions of flesh is just a human in general. But the flesh also is this. It denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. One more time. Take a deep breath. Everybody good? This is important. This is why we came today. This is why I came today to say this one thing. Flesh means this, mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence, which is prone to sin and opposed to God, was circumcised from you. God did a work on you, and what He did 
was cut away the old human nature that is contrary to God and prone to sin. And he replaced it with a new heart that is encoded with his law and his very own spirit. He was able to do that because he cleansed you first and foremost with the blood of Christ. You know, I mean, I can just see this cosmic spiritual surgery happening when you become born again. And God suits up. And he recognizes, yes, they have come to me through Christ. They're saturated with the blood of Christ. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to do a deeper work. I'm going to remove the disease. I'm going in them. And I'm going to remove the body of the sins of the flesh. And I'm going to put a new heart within them. And I'm going to seal them with my spirit. So that forevermore, as He is, so are we in this world. You are not a sinner by nature any longer. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because He did a work within you to remove. This is what He removed. He removed your mere human nature. That part of you that was apart from divine influence. And that part of you that was prone to sin. He cut it away. That's, you know, that might not be that powerful a news to you, but, but think about it for just a moment. Now, even though it's crystal clear, you go tell people that you don't have a sin nature any longer and watch what happens. Their hair will light on fire <laughs> and they will call you a heretic. And they will say that you are paving, paving the way to hell with this grease called grace. I just made that one up. Did that make sense? Are you with me? The Christian world doesn't know this. This is another revelation. You are a new creation. You are by nature righteous. You are changed. You are not your old dead man. God cut it away. That nature that used to put you at enmity against God, it's dead. It's removed. When it talks about having taken away your sin, God doesn't just cover your sin and look at you and say, well, I see what you're doing, but I'm going to look at you through the blood of Christ even though you're still dead and lost in your sin. No. To God, your actions don't define you. His action does. That which He did in you. He changed you. God cut away your mere human nature and He, put it, he took up residence within you. I just don't want to move too fast past that. And then it makes these things, make these scriptures like this take on a different meaning. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Have you said yes to Jesus? If you haven't, I recommend you do. We have a, if you're watching online and you're contacting us, you don't know if you're a believer or not, go to our website, forward.church, click on who is Jesus right on the homepage. It'll walk you through this process of how to receive Him. But now you're not, so you, you know, then you got this charismatic mentality. It was like, boy, I was really, we were really in the spirit today. Well, no, you know what? If 
Do you know how you know that you're in the Spirit? The Spirit's in you. But you are not in the flesh, but in, so it's talking more so realm, right? You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body, what body? The, no, what body is dead because of sin? The body of the sins of the flesh, which has been cut away from you, is dead. It's gone. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You were dead in sin, but now you are alive in Christ. Your old nature was removed from you and replaced with Christ's righteousness. And your only response is repent and believe the gospel. It's good news that you are not still a sinner, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because now you actually have a hope to live that way. You don't have a black dog and a white dog inside of you fighting to win. You got a mindset that might still think like the old man, which is why you need to renew your mind, put on the new man, which has already been created after Christ in righteousness and true holiness. So we put these things out to say, I am righteous in Christ. I am holy before the Father now. Now, this flesh, this body will die. Death is at work within this body. But that doesn't mean that, th that this body defines you. Like, e even this body is not inherently craving sin. Like, that sin that easily besets you and causes you to fall, you're probably not sitting here holding on to the chair right now, fighting against that thing right now. Only when you feel stress and pressure... And then you start yielding your emotions to the stress of that potential temptation. Do you then gravitate toward that? But you could also meditate on who you really are in Christ. You know, I don't, I don't know if you felt anything. I was feeling all warm and fuzzy and ooey-gooey up here preaching this stuff. I love it. It's a blessing to me to be able to preach these kinds of truths because I feel it. And it's not just about feelings, but you sin because you feel like it. You could also not feel like sinning and just don't do it. And the way that you do that is you sit in these truths and these realities. And it's not just an idea. There is a spiritual strengthening in your inner man as well. Like, like when, you, when you, so like we focus on the gospel and then, man, this, this, this strength in your inner man kicks in. And you're like, I am invincible. I am not touching that. I'm not going to think, I'm not going to respond that way. I am not going to eat that. I am not going to talk to my wife that way. That's just, that is not who I am. And then that identity preserves and protects and leads and brings glory to his name because it's natural for you to obey him and follow him and trust and believe and then watch his promises bear fruit in your life. You know, as this series continues on, we're going to look at the, the effects in our lives of the gospel. We're mostly talking about the good news of it. Now we're talking about inside of you, but then what it does to the world around you in your own life. We're going to start talking about those kinds of things. But, you know, just one last time on this idea. In Him you were also circumcised with circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Go and meditate on that this week. You know, keep up your reading. 
but sit and think about that, you know? Maybe, maybe even create an imagination, like a meditative, imaginary process where you're, you, you kind of see that. You kind of see, oh, when I got born again, God did. What does it look like? What does this circumcision look like that God went inside of you and did something? Because it happened. You know, that's not just an idea. It's not just a scripture in a book. This is something that actually happened. This actually happened to you. What is it? What was God doing? What was he thinking? What was he using? What was it like? You know, go there. Let, let, it, let it become a, like an act. Like, that's what baptism should be. When we're baptized in water, it's a moment to identify with his death and resurrection. But you can do that also in your mind, renewing your mind. You go there and you think about this. Man, he really did this within me. He took that out of me. I wonder what that thing looked like. Ooh, gross, it's gone. Oh, man, what does the Spirit look like? with me? You know, because in the Spirit, what does that look like? And you can have some creative license there. It's fine, you know. Some of you are artists. You can enjoy that process. You might even paint something. I'd love to see that. But the fact remains, it happened. And forevermore, that's what you are. And that's what we are going to preach. I don't care who gets upset about it. Because people need to know. Because there's power in it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, healing, wholeness, redemption, preservation, soundness, prosperity, all that. It's His power. So just think about that for just a minute. Father, we thank You. We thank You for that incredible work that You've done. We say yes. We trust. We change our minds. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am the righteousness of God in You. I am not contrary to you any longer. I am not at enmity against you any longer. I will protect my mind and my heart to believe the truth. When I'm tempted and when I respond in such a way that mirrors my old dead man, I will remind myself, no, I am, that is not who I am. I am free in Christ. I have the fruits of the Spirit. I am patient. I am kind. I am gentle. I am meek. I forgive. This is who I am. We don't confess to try to make it true. We acknowledge who we really are. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Just thank you for the power of your spirit inside our lives. And the world is the world is lost. The world is upset because of a few people and how they govern. And, and the things that they do. And, and the, the whole world looks at this small group of people and thinks that that's just what's going to happen and that's the way that it's going to be. But they do not know the power of your kingdom, Lord. Personally, we can live within such a peace that none of that stuff touches us. We have a joy that rises above the darkness. Yeah, we're going to have difficulty in this world. It's just going to happen because the world is broken. But your kingdom is here and I'm in your kingdom and your spirit is within me and I walk in the power of Christ. We want to be your ambassadors. We want to go into the earth in your full power, preaching the gospel, helping people connect to your forgiveness, and then also doing all those things which you said we could do, laying hands on the sick and watching them recover raising the dead, giving people words that point them to you, all of that stuff, Lord. 
It's available. But that's just fruit of believing the gospel. Thank you that you're, you've done a work within us and we give you our minds and our hearts to live from that work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just stand up if you would. Just keep your attention on him. I will speak life and blessing over every person in this place. I thank you that we change our mind about who you are in every area. Father, from the moment we wake up, we change our mind and we believe the good news in the area of our health and in the area of our relationships and in the area of our finances and then how we interact with our families and then how we interact with our jobs and the world around us and then how we respond to all the other stuff going on. Father, I thank you that the, from the moment we wake up, we set our attention on you and we live aware of you of who we are in you, and that drives our choices and our decisions and what we believe is possible because all things are possible for those who believe. Believe that we have received and it will be ours, you said. We have received everything in you, Christ. We thank you for that finished work. Thank you for that finished work, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just yield our hearts to you to develop a generous heart. We don't want to sow sparingly or reap sparingly. We don't give out of obligation. We're not under the law of a tithe. We give because we have a love for what we believe in. We want to sow into what we believe in. Father, we want to support this message and continue to spread it out there because it is powerful. The gospel is powerful. It's not about this specific ministry, but Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to sow generously into this body that you've given us. We thank you for that opportunity. We will steward it well in your name. Amen. Amen.